If you've been hanging out with us here at Dunwoody Community Church, then you know that this isn't only Christmas Eve, but it's the fourth Sunday in Advent. There are four Sundays before Christmas that we celebrate as our time to prepare ourselves. And it so happens that this year, the fourth Sunday is Christmas Eve. And so all four of the candles on the outside are lit. And then because it's Christmas Eve, the the candle in the middle, the Christ candle is lit. We'll talk more about that later. But we've been going through the book of Ruth for Advent. So tonight we're going to finish it up. We're going to do Ruth chapter four, the end of the story. So for all of you who weren't here, let me catch you up on the story. Ruth takes place in the time of Judges, 1200, 1300 BC. It is a lawless, difficult time in the nation of Israel. It says in the scriptures that everyone just did whatever they saw fit. The family of a man named Elimelech, during a famine, a time when there's no food, they leave Israel. They leave the nation that worships the God of Israel, Yahweh, and they go to another country, Moab, that worships another God. And they settle down there and their sons marry Moabite girls and they, they try to make a life for themselves there. But tragedy strikes over the next decade. First Elimelech, the, the elder statesman, the father dies, and then both his sons, Malon and Kilion, they both die as well. And so Naomi is left alone, a widow. No family, no relatives there in Moab. And so she goes back to Israel. So she leaves Israel and then 10 some odd years later, she comes back accompanied only by her daughter-in-law, Malon's Malon's wife comes back with her. Her name is Ruth. And they come back into Israel destitute and impoverished. They have nothing but the clothes on their back. And they're fortunate. They come back in the spring. The harvest is just starting. And through the generosity of a local landowner, a rich landowner there named Boaz, they do quite well over the next couple months because Boaz allows Ruth to glean in his fields. Gleaning is in the law of Israel. It says if you are poor, if you don't have your own land, if something has happened to you, you can go into someone else's field and you can harvest while they are harvesting. Now, of course, that relies on the person allowing you to do this. This is the time of the judges when it seemed no one was obeying God's law, but Boaz is, and he allows Ruth to glean. So she acts like one of his employees. She goes through gathering up the grain, but it doesn't go into his barn at night. She takes it home. And can you imagine that? If you you owned a business, having someone who comes into your business, acts like your employee, works in your business, you're in an Amazon warehouse, and someone goes through picking things in the warehouse, but all the boxes they make, they don't put them on trucks. They take them home. That's what Boaz is allowing Ruth to do. And, you know, my father says that no good deed goes unpunished. And so Boaz, having been kind and generous to these women, the harvest ends. It only lasts two or three months. And now they're faced with nine or ten more months of how are they going to eat? How are they going to live? What are they going to do? And so they come to Boaz, who has been so generous to them, and they say to him, you are our kinsman redeemer, redeem us. And this is a legal term. It's a legal act in the law of God in Israel at this time. At this point in history, as in most ancient societies, you know, there's no functioning government. There's no functioning social services. There's no hospitals. There's nothing that takes care of people except families. Families are the linchpin that hold everything together. No one is single in this world. You can't live alone. No one decides to be childless. You must have children. That's how it works. 
parents raise children. They pass on what they have to their kids, their inheritance, their businesses, their property, their whatever they have, they pass on to their kids. And then as the kids get older, they take care of the parents while raising the next generation. It's a chain. Parents raise children who then take care of parents and raise the next generation of children who take care of their parents and raise the next generation of children. What happens if the chain gets cut? What happens if Naomi's situation arises? Elimelech dies and both his sons die. There's no more children. There's no one left but parents. Who's going to take care of the parents? What's going to happen to all that was Elimelech's? All of his inheritance, all the things he had, and all his responsibilities. Naomi, Ruth, the people he was responsible for. And so God has a law called the kinsman redeemer. The closest relative to the man who died is supposed to step into his shoes to act as if they were that man. You're supposed to take on all of his responsibilities, take on whatever property he has, take on whatever inheritance he has, whatever businesses he has, even take on his wife. You are to marry his wife or or someone. In, In this case, it would be Ruth because Naomi is beyond childbearing age. But you're to marry the widow or one of the widows and have children with the widow and the children won't be legally yours. They will legally belong to the dead man because that's what you're doing. You're playing the role of the dead man. You're taking on all of his responsibilities and everything he has. You're having children, but those children are counted as his. All the work that you put in, if he has fields, all the work you put into his fields to make them prosper and get good harvest, none of that comes to you. It all stays in the family of the dead man. And it goes to the children you had with his wife. So that that chain is now reformed. Now there are children again. Even though Elimelech has died, now he'll have children again who can take care of the parents. And the chain goes on. This is the law. Would you take that deal if it was offered to you? I likened it last week in church. I said, suppose somebody comes to you in our world and says, look, my business is failing. Like everything I have is in this business. I'm leveraged to the hilt. I'm incredibly indebted. It's failing. I'm going to be destroyed. Here's what I want you to do. Buy my business. Buy my business. Pay me for it. Then pay me to be the CEO of my business. Train me how to be a CPO. Invest. Pay off my debts invest in this business, make it profitable. And then when it's finally profitable and all of your hard work pays off, give it to me free and clear so that I'm the only owner again. Would you take that deal? Because that's what Ruth and Naomi are asking Boaz to do, to step into the shoes of Elimelech, take over all that he had, prosper it, have children that will belong to the line of Elimelech not to the line of Boaz. Everything you do, hand it back. Boaz says yes. Boaz says thank you. I would be honored to. But he says, there's a catch. He says, I'm not actually the closest male relative. This isn't actually what I'm supposed to do. There's someone else. We don't know Elimelech's relationship to Boaz. If they were cousins, maybe there's a brother or something in there, but there's someone who's a closer relative. And so Boaz tells Ruth, who has said to him, you are a kinsman redeemer, redeem us, 
do these things, take over Elimelech's role, prosper Elimelech's family, have children who will belong to Elimelech and give everything to them, and then just step aside. Fade away and let the line of Elimelech continue. And he says, yes, but. So we're going to read what happens next. He's told Ruth, yes, I will do this, but there's actually someone closer to your father-in-law than I am. I will go speak to him for you. So here's what happens. Boaz went up to the town gate and he sat down there just as the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And so they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Oh, I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the, the kinsman redeemer said, whoa, then I cannot redeem it. I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing the transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he took off his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, of Kilion, and of Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. The elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and like Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, look, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Why? Why are we reading Ruth at Christmas? Because Ruth's story is our story. Because Ruth and Naomi come back to their hometown and they are destitute and they are impoverished. And that, the Bible says, is our story. Now, okay, North Atlanta, I doubt anybody in this room is physically impoverished. I doubt anybody simply has the clothes on their back like those women have. But scripture says we are spiritually 
impoverished. It says that God made us. We were his children. And just like Elimelech and Naomi and their family left, we left. We didn't want to be the people God wanted us to be. We didn't want to live under his control doing what he said. So we left. We went our own way. We broke our relationship with him. And scripture says ever since then, humanity has been spiritually impoverished. And I've never met anybody in my life, and I doubt I ever will, who can't say honestly, yeah, there's some things I've done. I could have handled that better. We're all selfish. And scripture says we're all broken because we, this relationship with God has been broken apart. We are spiritually impoverished. And just like Naomi and Ruth are in trouble, scripture says we are in trouble. And the answer for them is a crazy, ridiculous rescue plan that is going to cost someone a lot, but not them. For Naomi and Ruth to be redeemed, it will cost Boaz. So what does the other guy say? When Boaz comes to him and says, hey, why don't you acquire Naomi's property? She's selling it. And when the guy thinks, oh yeah, I'll take it. I'll make it mine. I'll profit from it. It will be good for me. He says, oh, definitely. I will definitely do that. And then did you hear what Boaz said to him? On the day you do that, you also get the widow Ruth in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. You hear what he's telling this guy? You're going to redeem this the right way. <laughs> You're not going to take it and prosper it yourself. You're going to do exactly what the law says. You're going to take it and prosper it and give it back. And this guy says what any sane, rational person would say. Uh, no. <laughs> no, thanks. That would endanger my estate. Yeah, no joke. You are going to pour decades of time and money and energy into another man's property, another man's home, another man's house. You are going to raise another man's children and you are going to give it all to them when he comes of age and you're going to fade off into the background. So the line of Elimelech will continue. And this guy says, no, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. That would cost me. We are like Naomi. We are spiritually impoverished. We're cut off from God. And Christmas, Christmas is God saying what Boaz said. Yes, I will redeem you. Christmas is the beginning of the story of God's crazy, expensive, incredibly generous rescue plan. Because what is Boaz gonna do? He's gonna step in and he's going to assume everything that Elimelech had, all his responsibilities, all his debts, everything. And he's going to transfer his good to Elimelech's family. He's going to take what he has, the good he has, and he's going to transfer it to prosper Elimelech's family. And that's what begins at Christmas, that God is stepping into our shoes. God isn't just assuming someone's place. He's becoming a man, the God who dwells in eternity, in light, in perfection. Scripture says the stars sing to God in heaven. The God who listens to stars singing enters into our messed up world and is wrapped up in cloths and laid in a feeding trough on his very first night in the world. God enters 
into our world. He does exactly what Boaz is doing. He takes on all of our debt, all of our problems, all of our issues. He assumes all of that and he transfers to us all of his good. And he doesn't endanger his estate. This guy won't do it because it will be expensive. And wow, it will. He's absolutely right. It will be very expensive to redeem this family, to save the line of Elimelech. It will cost him. It didn't cost God money. It will cost God his very life. He will become a man in Jesus. He will live. He will die. When he takes on our debt and he transfers his good to us, it doesn't just cost him money. It costs him his very life. But how does this story end? Did you hear it? It ends with a genealogy. It doesn't end where you think it will end in verse 17. The women said, look, Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That's where the story could end, right there. But there's a genealogy at the end. That's a, like a legal document. This is the line of Perez. Here's how it should read. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Elimelech. Elimelech was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. Because Obed is legally Elimelech's son. That's the whole point of a guardian, a kinsman redeemer. He raises the children who becomes part of that line. He inherits from the dead man's line. He continues that chain of parent to child. This genealogy appears four or five times in the Bible. It never says Elimelech. It always, it's always wrong. Salmon was the father Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. No, no, legally, biologically, yes, but legally, Elimelech is the father of Obed. But that's not the way God works. Boaz said, yes, he should hand all this off to Obed. Obed becomes the heir of Elimelech. And then Boaz should just disappear. He should just fade back into his own family and his own issues and his own properties but he doesn't. He becomes the great-grandfather of the greatest king in the history of Israel, David. And the great, 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 I don't know how many greats are, it's over a thousand years later, the great-grandfather of Jesus because he said yes to a crazy, stupid, expensive rescue plan. And Jesus does not fade away either. He becomes a man, he lives, he dies in our place. He takes all of our issues, he transfers his good to us. And then as we'll celebrate in Easter, the next giant festival that we'll celebrate in the church, he comes back. He doesn't fade away. Neither does Boaz. Jesus comes back. He takes his place at the head of our family. Christmas is the beginning of this crazy, expensive, incredibly expensive, incredibly generous rescue plan to redeem us. Because Jesus said yes when Ruth asked Boaz, will you redeem us, although it will cost you so much, Boaz said yes. And Jesus, the book of Hebrews says Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorned its shame, 
Jesus enters into our world, lives a perfect life, dies in our place, and then comes back and does not say to us, well, there, finally, now get it right. He calls that a joy because he gets us back. God wants us back. He wants his children back, his children who ran away from them. He wants to redeem them and take them back. And he says yes. The only question is whether you say yes back. Because God wants you back. If you're not his, if you've never said that, if you've never said back to God, yes, thank you. Yes, I want to be redeemed. I want to come back. I don't want to be spiritually broken anymore. Then that's all you have to do is say, yeah, I believe. Ruth has a baby named Obed in Bethlehem, and a thousand years later, another young Jewish girl will have a baby in Bethlehem. All you have to do is say to God, yes, I believe. Jesus, I believe you became a man. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again. God has said yes to all of us, all of us who know him. God has said yes to us, and we have said yes back. And that invitation is always open as long as you live. Anytime you want, you can say back to God, yes, thank you, I believe that you did this for me. And then you're his. Then you're not impoverished anymore. Then you're redeemed, you're back. You're part of a family, you're in a line again. You're not cut off. That's an offer that's on the table every Christmas and every other day aside from Christmas. But this is the beginning, tomorrow morning, we celebrate the beginning of this crazy, expensive rescue plan that God worked out to bring us back just like Boaz did for Ruth and Naomi. So I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna pray for me, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for all of us that know God and have said yes to him. That wow, we would be people like Boaz. We've talked about that in other sermons. And for any of you that don't, like any of you that got dragged here, thank you for coming, I totally get it. Thank you if somebody made you come or you, pro, you, know, you promised your mom, fine, after all the nagging, I'll come to church on Easter. You know, there's fire involved, right? So it's gotta be interesting. Thank you for coming. The yes is still there for you anytime you want. God has said yes to you. You just have to say yes back. So pray with me. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you have entered into our world. Thank you that this is just the beginning. We celebrate the day that you came into our world, but wow, that is just the very, very beginning of what is going to happen, of the years that you will live as a man, the years that you will grow up as a child, the years that you will spend, wander, you will spend wandering around and teaching. Jesus, this is the beginning but it is the beginning of you saying yes to us. It is the beginning of you rescuing us, redeeming us, even though it's crazy, even though any sane person would say what this other kinsman redeemer says, no, I'm not gonna do that. That would be expensive, that would cost me. I would lose if I do that. Elimelech would gain and I would lose. Why would I do that? It would harm my own estate. You had every right, God, to say that to us. Why would I redeem you? It will cost me. You ran away. It's your fault. You fix it. 
but you didn't. You said yes to us. Jesus, scripture says, you thought it was a joy to become a man, to live this life and to die for us and then to defeat death itself and come back. That just like Boaz is still in the story at the end, you are still in the story. Even death can't hold you down. Thank you. Thank you. We are so grateful. Lord, I pray for all of us who have said yes back to you, that we would be more like you, that we would be people who say yes to crazy, stupid, expensive things simply because it delights you, because you are a God who says yes. And Lord, I pray for everyone listening to me who has never said yes back to you. you. And I, I pray that they would. I pray that you would speak to them that your spirit would talk to them even now in their minds. They'd hear you telling them that this is all true. It's not just a story. All this happened. It's real. That, That you are offering them again a chance to come back home and be part of the family. Lord, I pray that you would be gracious to us That just you are like Boaz. We ask you these crazy, ridiculous, expensive things. And like Boaz, you say, of course, yes. I would be delighted to do that for you. I pray for all of us, Jesus, that we would be more like you. I pray for everyone here who has not said yes to you. Oh, that they would. That they would with joy. That they would know the joy of being restored to you, of being back in your family, of having their relationship put back together, even in the midst of this dreadfully, dreadfully fallen world. And as the songs say that we sang, Lord, oh, we so look forward to the day you come back and you fix it all and it's not dreadfully broken when everything is good and right. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you that you have loved us like this. Thank you that you have paid this incredible price. So tomorrow we celebrate the beginning of your ridiculously expensive rescue plan for us. We pray all this in your name, Jesus, because we, those who have said yes to you, we are yours. Amen.